That's why I'm an entrepreneur because I, I can't work for other people. That's why I'm a rebellious employee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty oh. much. Like I always questioned everything. I've, every corporate job I've ever had, they've always come back and saying, you know, you're questioning the way we're doing it. And I was like, because the, the way you guys are doing it is not as productive or you're, it doesn't make sense or it's, you know, it's stuck in the stone ages and I don't get it. And they, you know, people just want to tell the line and I'm not that type of person. Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Coach at Sales Gravy, with my amazing British co-host. I'll let her say her name and talk about herself. Susanna Gray-Jones from the UK. (laughs) Oh, that was short and sweet. (laughs) I think I I listened to our last episode and I thought I spoke a bit too much, so I'm uh, trying to take a (laughs) bit more of a backseat today. What? No, I was hoping you were going to take the whole front seat and I could sit in the back seat. Always leave them wanting more, they say. Don't they? Always leave them wanting more. (laughs) Or always leave them wanting to hear more from our guest, Christina Jaramillo. Welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you for having me, ladies. I'm really excited to be here. We're excited. We were having a great pre-conversation about account-based selling We've got some great topics that we can talk about today. Before we do that, though, instead of us reading your bio, how about you tell our listeners a little bit about you and what you bring to the table today? Absolutely. President of personal ABM, so personal account-based marketing, but it's really account-based selling because that's who we align with. And our key uh, metric as opposed to pipeline and lead generation is revenue. Um, So it could be either or. And uh, I think that sales and marketing go hand in hand. And for order for account-based selling programs or account-based marketing programs, you really need both. And we learned that along the way. And we kind of started ABM, I'd say 10 plus years ago. We just didn't realize we were doing it. And we found Mm -hmm. out through trial and error and through experience that the more personal you can get, the more relevant you can get to the actual human buyer as opposed to their persona or their industry or even their company, the better. you know, more success you'll have for building that relationship and turning it into revenue. Hence what the name personal ABM. I love it. And as you were talking, I'm like, oh, this is so much about relationships. And then you said the R word. I'm so interested in that because I was looking at your LinkedIn and it, 11 plus years um, since you started it. And I'm curious to know a bit more about what made you see that problem, if you like, that needed to be solved. What made you kind of think, the world needs us. Let's do this. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the days are long gone of marketing being accountable for leads and demand and brand awareness and, you know, pretty logos and uh, websites. And they have to take their part in the revenue game. And it's not only on sales' shoulders. It can't be. It's not possible anymore. And I saw that earlier on. And slowly but surely, I've noticed that more companies are getting on board with it, um, particularly more. Um, technology companies, the ones that are going to be a little more modern. Uh, there's still a lot of older seller out, sellers out there, but uh, and marketers even. But I just saw that there was that hole where a lot of marketers weren't being held accountable for revenue. And I mm-hmm. thought that they should be. I mean, it's not, I don't even know if necessarily marketing is the right word for it anymore, just because sales and marketing kind of overflow in so many different ways, or they should if they're going to be successful. Um, so we f- saw that gap. We were filling it for ourselves, for our clients. and 
it was working. And we just kind of found our little um, niche and who work who this our style works well with because personally, EBM is account based selling and marketing, but on the one to one side versus one to many and one to few. And it's with those tier one accounts that are going to give you the most revenue. So these are our approach is for people that are driving six figure plus deals. So six, seven figure plus deals have longer sales cycle, more complicated program. If you're selling something that's a one-off and is a you know relatively affordable solution, this is a little too time consuming and this you're not going to get the ROI. You can take aspects of it definitely to tweak to your approach. Um, but that's typically where we play is in the bigger revenue deals. I love that. I love that. And looking at your LinkedIn, you've worked with some pretty, pretty impressive. SaaS companies and yeah, and we've sold into enterprise. A lot of our clients have been, um, you know, mid market selling into enterprise, and they've been competing with other big enterprises. So we've been able to unseat the bigger players, and we've been able to get deals for clients, whether it's protecting, expanding, or uh, retaining. I mean, or new logos for clients. It's We've been able to compete with some of the big guys. So it's it's been really fun and it's always a challenge. That's what makes it more exciting. It's why we all do what we do. But yeah. I love I love that you're talking about marketing has having accountability in the process because so often, right? We know the first two things cut from a budget are often marketing and training, which is very painful coming from the training side of it. But I'm a reform marketing director. So um <laughs> I just left one tough field for another. But marketers, we marketers like to spend money on cool marketing things and uh, not be held responsible for the accountability behind spending that money that, you know, they then create those tools for the sales team to go out and sell. But at the same time, um, they often struggle with, I just got off a call with this new client that I'm working with both marketing and sales and marketing has to provide the tools, but gets frustrated when sales does not execute. Age old problem. It is. It is. I must say from a personal perspective, since I started my business last April, I I never thought of branding or LinkedIn or anything around that. How important would you say to our listeners LinkedIn and branding is and how how much of that do you do for your clients? I think it's very important. I'd say it's one of the top things that we do. And I, I just want to stress to people that when we talk about branding, personal branding is way stronger than a company brand. And I know unless you're working for like HP or IBM, that's great. But if you're selling someone a solution that's not well known, doesn't have a huge budget, doesn't have enough PR or whatever it is, your personal brand is always going to be stronger for that point. But also, if I'm selling into your organization, Susanna, I'm selling to you if you're the buyer. I'm not selling to your company. So I need to get personally relevant to you. Because I think a lot of people are taking, uh, typically in marketing and sometimes in sales, they take the individual out of the buying equation and just make them their uh, title, their role, their industry, their persona. And they forget that they're actually selling to Gina or Susanna. They're not selling to the director of sales or the CSO or whatever it is. And um, personal brand is something that people really need to talk about and uh, really need to to sell yourself first. Because I know, and from my perspective and from other people that I've worked with and things that if I'm taking a call with someone, I immediately look at their LinkedIn profile or I Google them and LinkedIn usually comes up first. And you can get so much of that selling conversation out of the way 
if you have a great personal brand, if you're showing that person you're super relevant to them on LinkedIn, whether it's through your profile, whether it's what you're sharing through its articles, whatever, if they see you as someone that's going to give them value and not someone that's going to sell them because, you know, I look at your profile and it says you won president's club's last six quarters running. Well, congratulations. And that's great if you're looking for a new role. If you're trying to sell me, I'm going to put my wall up right away and say, oh no, they're going to pitch me instead of sharing the value. And they could be have the best solution ever. They could have the best product ever. And they could be someone that would save me money or make me more productive or whatever the case may be. But if I see that they are just about the sale or selling as opposed to teaching and giving that value and sharing commercial insights, you know, you, you do a lot of, um, you hurt yourself that way when it comes to seller and you get on the line with the person. Yeah. But if you can get your personal brand on LinkedIn, it, it's, it does a lot of work for you. I think it's a two-way street. Wouldn't you agree? Right. Like nothing drives me crazier when someone tries to pitch to me, but they didn't do their homework, right? They they pitch slap and they vomit on you. Uh, don't do that to me because you will get a response that you do not like. And I I will reverse prospect, right? Like when they pitch to me, but they have not read my profile, and I'm like, why are you trying to sell me this when I clearly am not the right target? Right. So um, there's that if you're pitching to someone, but in reverse, if you're trying to sell and I'm a buyer, first thing I'm going to get to do is check you out to see what kind of social proof you have, uh, what people say about you, what your experience mm-hmm. is, what are you posting, what's your activity. Right. So I think it's a two way street. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's a great feeling. As a recruiter, when I just contact people out of the blue, when I say, hey, I saw you study philosophy at blah, blah university, that's really interesting. And suddenly they're like, hey, you took an interest in me. And suddenly you can build that rapport much, much more easily. Absolutely. Uh, and what did it take you? A couple of minutes? Exactly. You yeah. might even have read it as you said it, but we don't we don't tell people that. <laughs> we keep that private. We don't actually say it on a podcast. But um, one question I had for you was um, about the pandemic. And the effect that it had on your clients, because I'm sure it had a huge effect, but how how did it change the way that you see your companies and your clients doing things? Well, first and foremost, we've been using LinkedIn as our main social uh, selling and selling platform since day one. Obviously, the, the approach we take goes into live selling conversations, email and things like that. But we've been using it for a while and it kind of it blew up within, you know, the first three to six months of all sellers being forced on there. So you had people who were used to selling face-to-face. You had people used to selling, emailing, cold calling, everyone. So everyone was doing, you know, the, I invite you to connect and then try to pitch you right away or just posting about myself and my company and why we're so great and why you need to learn about us and and buy our, our products and solutions. So it was very hard to cut through the noise. But on the other hand of that, it also made it easier because if you were sharing commercial insights as opposed to just um, thought leadership, which is really important, but taking another, adding another layer to that and saying, you know, the way that you're doing business in this particular industry is right now that you're doing it is, you know, leaving you uh, exposed to risk. It's leaving you exposed to uh, customer churn or whatever the problem is and showing why it's not working as opposed to saying you're, you're doing something wrong or you should be using my product or our solution that they gave us that opportunity as well. So it was kind of like a double-edged sword, but on the other end of it, everything kind of got, um, you know, it came, it, it, we've balanced it, 
Um, and in the beginning of the pandemic, we actually had a company that was selling digital marketing tech into QSRs. And at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of QSRs were closing, but we were still able to drive selling conversations with those decision makers that were struggling to figure out, you know, like, what do we do next? How do we get our income back up there? So it's not that we were totally disconnected. I mean, at some, some points during all this, it did seem that way, but we were still driving selling conversations with people that were very relevant and had a lot on their plate. So obviously we were saying something that was interesting to them and of value for them to actually connect with us, let us nurture them, and then have a selling conversation. Hi, this is Jeb Blunt. There's a reason why thousands of sales professionals and top companies across the globe honed their sales skills at SalesGrave University. You see, SalesGrave University is different than most learning platforms. First, we have live courses taught in a virtual classroom by our master trainers that start almost every single day. And our e-learning platform is populated with hundreds of hours of sales training content produced by some of the top sales trainers in the world, including Gina's spontaneous selling course, which is worth checking out. Now, I've got some good news. If you've never taken a course on SalesGrave University, if you're a new user, you can take your very first course for free. That's any course on the platform, absolutely free. Just go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's learn.salesgravy.com or click the e-learning tab in the top menu at salesgravy.com. Pick out your course. And when you check out, use coupon code free course to get that course for free. That is free course to get your very first course for free. It's so interesting. I always find about digital marketing and you know, you've got the behavior targeting and the ways now that we can really track people on the internet. It makes you think, what's next? What do you think is next? Well, I think intent data, which I've seen a lot of people have been um, adopting, is just going to get more and more relevant. I, I'm, I'm seeing it's kind of slowly picking up speed. But I think what people are going to see is that any kind of approach, whether it's account-based, whether it's um, you know email marketing, whether it's using intent data, they're going to realize they have to get more personally relevant, especially if they are going to cut through that noise. If they are continuing, I mean, it looks like we're going to be continuing digital forever now. I don't think there's any going back to the old way. Uh, might be less people, but we're still doing digital. So if you're not relevant, it's going to be that much harder for you to stand out from your competition, from even other sellers that, you know, within your company, it's just going to be that much harder to break down people's barriers because people put up walls now because they know that there's so many people pitching to them and there's so many people on social platforms that are just there to sell and, you know, hit a quota. Well, well, let's, let's talk about account-based programs because one of the things you say is that two thirds of account-based programs underperform. And to me, anytime I can expand an account, that is way easier for me and going out prospecting, right? I just closed a deal expanding an account. Um, I like to build relationships. What's going on? What should an account-based sales and marketing program look like? Yeah. So first of all, that two-thirds stat is from ITSMA, which is an organization that's for um, information technology professionals. And they said that it underperformed, but they didn't really go into why. But if you ask me, it's because it's sales and marketing usual, just we're a little more targeted now. So instead of speaking to that individual, like we talked about earlier, to the person that you're selling to, you're speaking to uh, the industry because it's account-based. 
um, and, and or you're speaking at accounts as opposed to that person. And when you take off that other or you miss that layer, you are going to automatically fail. And I think a lot of people are just continuing pushing out content, continuing to push out emails, messaging. Obviously, again, it's focused on specific accounts, so it's a little more targeted, but it's just the same thing. Like they didn't change their strategy. They didn't change um, their approach. And, you know, it's, I think we're missing a fact about focusing on those interactions. So every little touch point is, you know, really important. Every Mm -hmm. little um, interaction that you have, if, if you're not building more relevance or more importance upon each interaction, then you're missing something that's a great opportunity. And I think it also has to be continuity. So like, if you're doing an account-based approach via email, but then you're not doing account-based and other platforms, there's a disconnect as well. So I'm getting yeah. an email from you, but then I'm getting uh, an invite from you that's not matching up. So it's kind yes. of so, so it's lacking the congruency. Absolutely. How do we shift from, uh, how do we deal with status quo? Because we know that this is this is a big issue too. People get stuck in the status quo. So how do we need need to shift the sales and marketing conversation to win with those status quo accounts? I think when I when I think of this, it's thinking about account specific gaps. So what is an account that you're targeting? Let's say, for example, you're targeting uh, Procter and Gamble. What is a gap that they have that your solution fits? What are some impacts that you see that gap causes? And if you can get as specific as possible, say um, as specific as how it's impacting the company as a whole how it's impacting the business uh, priorities they have. You know, maybe the the C-suite came down and said, we want to achieve X, Y, Z, and that's obviously going to trickle down. How is it in fact uh, impacting their customers, finances, operations? The more um, kind of things that you can touch that you're seeing that they're the current way of them operating is impacting their all these different things, uh, the better that conversation is going to be. And, and I think... We have to prove, and LinkedIn is a great way to do this, um, that we understand, you know, the people that we're targeting, that we understand their com- uh, company, their business challenges. We understand, you know, we've done our homework on them. We're not just taking a stab at it. Um, we need to, I'm a big proponent of the challenger sale. I'm sure a bunch mm-hmm. of your listeners are yeah. familiar with that. So we need to, um, you know, tailor for re- relevance, teach for differentiation. Commercial insights are a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. But you don't want to necessarily point the prospect in your direction. You want to give or, or like say that you're the best or you're the greatest. You want them to come to their own conclusions. So kind of build upon it with stories, examples, customer successes, and oh, show yeah. them that you are the solution or your company is the solution and you're the person they should be dealing with in order to fix that because either the current solution they have or the current way of doing things that they're doing, um, you know, is causing specific problems. And you have to demonstrate that you understand those problems because otherwise it's just a nice to have. What about those prospects that are, they're in the status quo, not because they're afraid to make a change, but they're in the status quo because they don't think they need a change. And they don't realize that there might be something else out there that would actually make them better. Yeah. Those are like the best ones because you can kind of pinpoint what's going on and what they're doing and saying, okay, what you're doing is great, but if you did this, you could achieve that. Like Mm. you don't want to necessarily say what they're doing is completely wrong, but you want to say that there is a better opportunity and change is obviously going to be difficult for anyone. But if the reward that you can convey is always better and stronger and it looks 
like it's worth the change, then that's something that you have to do. And you do that through stories. You do that through content. You do that through case studies. You don't talk about how great your company is and it's the best place yeah. to work and you've won all these awards. And that those are all, you know, they build your credibility. But at the end of the day, you're you're not the only one that has those. So yeah. Well, you don't have to hear it just from me, Warners. You heard somebody else talk about the power of story. So that's Gina's just, eyes just lit up when you said that. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to take advantage of an opportunity for a shameless plug anytime I can. Um, unfortunately, off the top of my head, I cannot remember when the next Selling with Stories workshop is happening, but I'm pretty sure it's soon. <laughs> I Put think in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fine. If you go to Sales Gravy University, you will find uh, the ever so popular selling with stories. So um, thank you for um, teeing me up for that, Christina. Anytime. I'll be honest with you. I'm pretty basic in my knowledge of what digital marketing and how that can all relate to sales and how powerful it is. And just hearing you speak just makes me realize how far we've come. I sound like such oh an old bogey. How far we've come. How far we've come in the insight that we can get to our customers and our clients and how we can track exactly what they're doing and learn about what, what they are, are wanting to see. I mean, what I was going to ask you is, what do you find the biggest challenges to convert people to use an account-based sales and marketing program? Um. You know, I think a lot of people think about it as a thing to do. So we're going to do ABM. We're going to adopt this for a couple of months and then it's not going to get results or it doesn't get results because they're not really planning well. And then they go on to the next um, um, shiny, bright object. So I think a lot of people don't want to adopt it because of that. Um, they've seen or they have adopted it and it didn't work or they bought a tech stack that's specific for ABM and it didn't work. So they're not going to adopt it. But I think the more and more people that speak about it, and it's one of those things that are, I, I, I can't go on LinkedIn and not see someone talking about account-based sales, mm-hmm. account-based everything, account-based marketing, whatever buzzword, it's all the thing. I think it's just a matter of being stuck in their old ways and stuck mm-hmm. in, you know, marketing does case studies. We do website, we do brand awareness, we do PR. We're not accountable for revenue. So the, the minute that your organization as a whole, not just the marketing department has kind of come to the realization that everyone pretty much is accountable for revenue or at least majority of the company, um, that's when you see the account-based approach being adopted. And it's, again, usually what it's I've seen from our experiences for tech companies, SaaS companies, uh, tech forward companies, if they're not in that space. Um, but if it's an older, you know, like a manufacturer or we're, we sell door to door or we sell, um, you know, I'm in my car all day, every day visiting people, then that's something that they can adopt it in a certain way, but it's just not the same scale. I mean, obviously these things can be scaled down to other people, but uh, or other needs, but account-based uh, approaches, I've seen more people adopting them, but I think they just might not be taking the right frame of mind when adopting it. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine that's only a few people now. I think everyone's trying to sort of step up, aren't they? And um, I can imagine it's very, very lucrative. Well, let's talk um, a little bit about why many sales and marketing organizations are challenged to drive the stage progression and what enablement that teams need. Yeah. So I think 
a lot of problems with stage progression is that sales is not set up to succeed with when it comes to terms um, in supporting that internal conversation. So the, the conversations that they're not a part of, the stuff that goes on behind closed doors when they're making a final decision in a prospective company, um, they sales teams just don't have the content or the messaging or the stories set up, um, support those conversations. And that's where marketing needs to really come in and play a huge part um, because that is the team effort right there is to make sure that those selling conversations behind closed doors are in your favor because you can have as many uh, internal champions or sponsors as you want. But if at the end of the day, you can't get that internal consensus and you can't build it with whatever content you're providing them, it's much harder for people. And I think you need to show, have that prospective buying committee come to their conclusion that they need to use your solution, use your product, use your product suite versus turning that blind eye to new solutions, new ways of doing things, new offerings. And another thing I think people need to focus on, particularly in the sales side, is you're selling use cases for specific companies versus selling the product for the industry. So you need to go beyond the campaign, Mm -hmm. the normal campaign where you're just talking again to personas or industry or challenges, pain points, whatever. So I think that's that's a big gap that I've seen a lot. Um, And when you can kind of close that gap and marketing steps up to the plate. It makes it that much easier for sales to go that extra mile and close the deal when they're like three quarters of the way there. And if they have that internal support, it, it helps them get to the over the finish line. And would you agree that where marketing is going to get some help is this is where I think marketing and sales have to work hand in hand. Sales, if, if you're doing it right and you're really good at it, you're going to do a deep enough discovery that you're going to find information um, that might tell you there are three other stakeholders that need to be involved in these conversations. And um, all those com- all those personas, all those stakeholders have different personas. They have different buying authority. And uh, if you start to build kind of a pattern of like, okay, this is what happens, let's say in this a vertical, and you feed that information to marketing, now marketing can actually create better messaging to then help sales the next time they are selling to that vertical. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. And I think that's where a big misstep is. A lot of marketing teams aren't sitting in regularly on these sales conversations because you could yes. probably get so many ideas for content instead of yeah. writing content that you think is going to hit. You automatically know if this particular prospective company is having it, how many others are having it? How many other salespeople are having the same conversation every single day? And if you write a couple of case studies or blogs or whatever, you'll have something to fuel the conversation. Oh, you know what? When we're done with this call, I'm going to send you this article on just this topic because we have, you know, this is something we see all the time. And that's something that sales can get all their inspiration or marketing can get all their inspiration yeah. from being mm-hmm. on a sales conversation. Yeah, Or exactly. if you have that relationship where sales can get off a call and be like, you know, I have X, Y, Z. Um, leaders that I need to penetrate, help me create a plan of action. That's why it's so important when you're getting those accounts closer to revenue, instead of kicking it over and doing that handoff to sales and saying, you know, here, good luck. It's a handshake. We are going to see this to the end. We've opened that. We've opened that. (laughs) Yeah. Pull, pull, you know, salespeople, if you're smart, you're going to pull marketing people into the equation with you because here's the thing we're salespeople. We we're sometimes lazy. Like if, yeah. if I can have a marketing person be part of that conversation and 
they're a fly on the wall. And like, I know I do this in my discovery. I write everything down verbatim so that I can hear the words that they use so that I can regurgitate them back in a message. But if I can have marketing on that call and they can take that information and run with it, oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. They can set up the email sequence. They can write something specific for that, that particular prospective company. Yeah. Like they're doing most of the, they'll do the work. You're doing work for them by listening, letting them listen to the discovery call, but they're doing the work for you by helping you later down the line. So. Exactly. See, I love this. I, I love this kind of picture of sales and marketing working together. Now, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I've never, other than sales, baby, worked anywhere where I've seen that unity Very hard. work so well. It is. And I see so many salespeople who are great on the phone, not want to do the marketing side as much. Some people who just get stuck on the marketing, but, you know, people absorb information differently. So you have to hit them. Yeah, I think think the silo of sales and marketing, it needs to be broken down and it's an internal, it's an internal top down thing. So if like leadership doesn't see that there's an issue, it's going to be impossible for the people underneath to do it. So it's this account-based approach, whether it's what call it account-based sales, account-based marketing, account-based approaches, everyone needs to be on board when it comes to this D-suite. So the, the head of sales, the head of marketing, even the CEO needs yeah. to be on board because it's a mind shift, yeah. mindset shift. It's not just uh, an approach. Absolutely. I, I did literally just get off this call on this deal that I just closed that is going to involve marketing and sales. And marketing is going to be part of the training and coaching so that they can write the messaging for sales. Like, oh, that is like, that to me is like the best thing ever. <laughs> sales has enough to do. They can't write their own messaging. And it's not, it's never going to be as good as it needs to be if they don't give the insights. If sales doesn't provide the insights to marketing because yeah. sales is there day in and day out with prospective clients or you know buyers. Marketing isn't. But it needs to be a team sport. Yeah. Correct. Oh, well, Christina, I wish I could just sit here in my office here and... <laughs> Just suck up all that knowledge. So it's something I need in my life. Definitely. definitely. I've got a um, coaching client who, and he's just amazing to work with. And he's a commercial banker and he, he sells to CFOs. And one of the things he did was, and I can't even take credit for it. Um, I'd love to, but I can't. But he goes on, he went on to Indeed and started looking up CFO job descriptions. And he went through the job descriptions to see um, the words used. He wanted to see the language. And then when he told me this, I'm like, that was, that became a homework assignment for him to put together all the language over maybe 10 to 15 posts to see what the patterns were. And that became part of his, you know, I'm going to call it a love language. That became part of his languaging that he could use when he was cold prospecting because he was able to really speak their pain points. Absolutely. It shows right away that you understand. And it, it, I'm sure this this whole process did not take as long um, as, he, as no. he thought, but it probably turned awesome results for him. And it made his life easier, not just for one company, oh, yeah. but for everyone he interacts with. Yeah. Yeah. He's very high performing and very successful. I'm, I'm just lucky to be his coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, stalk your customers basically, isn't it? Stalk your clients, not literally stalk. Digitally stalk, right? <laughs> <laughs> but get to get inside their head. I, I remember when um, I went to see a client and I saw they had a top, oh, you guys won't know what top gear is. It's like, um, it's all about cars. 
And I went away and I learned all about cars. And suddenly we were chatting about that and we could then get on to a business conversation. But um, Gina um, will know, but you won't know because I know you haven't, you're not that familiar with our podcast, but I like to dig deep and find out about Uh-oh. the motivations of people. And um, you're not safe until I've asked you a, a more, we, we won't get too personal, but I want to ask go. you one question. <laughs> it's not that bad. I want to know what gets you out of bed in the morning? What makes you feel like, you know what? This is going to be a good day at work. Well, aside from my kids, because that's like a standard answer I'm sure you guys <laughs> get, but the results that we're getting, like, when you, even if it's just, I'm sending a, a connection message to someone that we're targeting that happens to be, let's say a C-suite and we're like, they haven't responded to emails or they haven't responded to, uh, you know, they haven't opened anything that we've sent. They haven't read anything. There's no intent around them. And they just accept that invite to connect. Like I'm excited. I live on LinkedIn as you can probably tell. And so anytime I see a LinkedIn request come in, that gets accepted or there's someone that wants to talk or anything like that. So any kind of little it's the little um, wins that are going to lead to the bigger mm. wins. That's what gets me out of bed. Said like a true salesperson. That and coffee. Coffee. I'll take coffee. Susanna, do you have any other special questions before we uh, wrap up? This oh, episode? no, we're wrapping up already. That's sad. I know. So as Gina knows, I'd like to add. <laughs> she's like, what's coming now? I like to add a section to the podcast called Would You Rather? It can be random. <laughs> it can be business focused so i've got one for you which is pretty business focused so you're safe so it's would you rather and you've got to say which one you'd rather do so the question is would you rather be incredibly skilled at a boring job or unskilled at an interesting job oh definitely unskilled at an interesting job i'll learn it i'll learn it quick yeah i can't if i was if i was bored with my job that's why i'm an entrepreneur because i i can't work for other people. That's why I'm a rebellious employee. (laughs) Pretty much. much. Like I always questioned everything. I've every corporate job I've ever had, they've always come back and saying, you know, you're questioning the way we're doing it. I was like, because the way you guys are doing it is not as productive or you're it doesn't make sense or it's, you know, it's stuck in the stone ages and I don't get it. And they, you know, people just want to toe the line and I'm not that type of person. So definitely a an exciting job that I have no idea how to do, and I will figure it out. Great answer. Susanna, same question for you. Uh, the questions don't normally come back to me. I mean, I won't, I, uh, I won't lie. I won't gotcha. lie. Well, do you know what? I'm going to say different. I would rather be incredibly skilled at a boring job, but unlike you two mavericks who don't like being managed <laughs> or told what to do, <laughs> don't offend your guests, I know. But I actually really love praise and I love being managed, not to the point that I'm annoying. Um, and it's ironic, really, because I started my own business last year and I'm very autonomous, but I love saying to someone at the end of the day, hey, hey look what I did. Um, that's what motivates me. It's not everyone's cup of tea, um, but I am a bit of a people pleaser. I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. There are aspects of my personality, but they don't. I have that in my personality, but obviously the other one, other side wins. And uh, (laughs) what about you, Gina? Come on. Come on. I thought I just said it. I would, I would rather, I would rather do what? Be unskilled. What was that? Yeah, I would rather be skilled in an interesting job. I would rather be unskilled in an interesting job. I am I get bored easily. 
I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. I like to break things and then fix them again. So that's a shocking answer. I would have never guessed that. (laughs) (laughs) It's what keeps me, it's what keeps my um, amygdala going. It keeps me moving and thinking. It's kind of like play, right? I've done a lot of study on play and creativity and it's what keeps my brain stimulated. So not that, not that being very skilled at a boring job does not um, include that, but for the way my brain operates, that's yeah. what my brain needs. So, so I think there's a difference there. There's no right or wrong answer. here. No, there has to be a balance of both kind of people. Otherwise it would be very dull world. <sighs> That'd be yeah, scary. hundred percent. And just for those listeners, Gina and I on our next rogue episode have spoken about talking about praise and how important it is in management. So, and um, Susanna, with that being said, I would like to praise you and tell you how great you have been doing on this podcast. Woohoo! Well, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> Every week that I'm back, I feel like I've achieved something. <laughs> I just wanted to give you that love. Did you have anything else, Susanna? Was that it? Nothing for me, but I just want to say um, I really enjoyed this podcast, Christina, and you really definitely brought a nice new dimension because we've been talking a lot about sales on its own recently. So it's nice to have that kind of marketing and sales um, touch to it. So thank you very much. Yeah. And Christina, if um, our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? On LinkedIn, give me a relevant message. Explain to me why we should connect because I get so many messages. Or check out the website. It's personalabm.com. Both those good. Fantastic. Everybody, Warners, check that out. And yes, please send a relevant message when you are trying to connect in any possible way. Be relevant. What is in it for them? Why should they connect with you? And do not vomit. That makes me crazy. Hey, Warners, it's time for us to wrap up this episode. Thank you to Christina. Thank you to Susanna. Of course, thank you to Jeb and Sales Gravy for sponsoring this show. For more information about the Women Your Mother Warns You About, go check out our website, womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com, where you'll also find all of our social media platforms. And you can go check out Suzanne and I both on the Sales Gravy website. And hey, go take a course at salesgravy.university. There are a lot of amazing courses there. Um, I'm not even going to talk about the ones I teach, but there's a lot of amazing courses there. Hey, you know me, self-promotion. That's it. We're out of here. Bye, Warners. Night, night. Coffee. All day coffee.